two quick announcements before we get to this uh, very exciting episode of It's That Episode. One, I will be doing a live It's That Episode at the UCB Theater in Chelsea in New York City on Wednesday, July 9th at 11 p.m. I will be announcing the uh, guests soon enough, but get the tickets now before I announce them and then everybody's like, oh my God, you, you got uh, uh, fill in the blank huge comedy persona uh, and and everything's just sold out in, in, in 16 seconds like a, like a U2 pop-up concert. Secondly, I'm very excited to announce that um, last episode, uh, Matt Fisher and I uh, drunkenly said that we'd give uh, $20 each to whoever sent us the f- full liner notes from any Baja Men album. And I'd like to say that Et Munlet, Tyler Munn, has done it. He sent in the liner notes uh, from the Baja Men Who Let the Dogs Out album. And uh, he told me that he went to the library to get it. He said he used to own a Baja Men album, doesn't anymore. He went to the library to get a CD. They didn't have it, so he had a request to be sent in from another in-state library. So that a lot of effort went into that. And I'm reading the liner notes right now, and everybody from the band Baja Men thanks God. Rick says, Heavenly Father, for the gift of life, love, music, friendship, I thank you. O'Merritt says, I would like to thank God for allowing me to share with the world the talent he has given me. And Isaiah Tyler says, first of all, let me thank the Lord Jesus. Um, So thank you so much, Tyler Munn, for uh, passing that on, and you'll be getting your $40 in cash soon enough. Um, Why am I still talking? Let's get to the episode and the theme song. It's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rowan, invite a guest over to my apartment. We watch any TV show that they choose. We watch it. We talk about it. We talk about a bunch of other crap. I'm very excited because today uh, I have an author with me who has uh, written two books. One is coming out and one has already been out and is one of my favorite comedy books. And I've read them all, folks. Uh, his first book uh, of comedy book was uh, And Here's the Kicker and his new one is Poking a Dead Frog Welcome Mike Sachs Thanks for having me How you doing? I'm doing great I like this pad I like the Simon and Garfunkel poster I like the records <laughs> Thank you <laughs> Yeah, everything looks nice I sort of like I really do like Simon and Garfunkel I love them and but I and I, I really like Bridge Over Troubled Water the yeah. album, but I also sort of think it's funny to have like I it's it's not ironic because I really do genuinely love that album, but I just think the idea. Right. Of- well, I like posters that tell a story. Yeah. This is the story of Bridge Over Troubled. It's an actual bridge with a sunset. <laughs> right. I don't even know if is that New York or is that just a stock. Photo I think of that might my, my guess would be because they've written a song. Is that. Could that be 59th Street Bridge, since they have a song called that? Well, I see but, someone on the bridge feeling groovy, so I think that might be... Yeah, that's, yeah somebody's grooving out, uh, moving too fast. The other thing I noticed about Simon and Garfunkel is that they have more best-of albums than regular albums. Yeah, that's, they only have, what, like four or five albums, something like that? Yeah, they must have 20 best-ofs. And they're the type of group where half of the stuff they do is genius and half is utter garbage. Yeah, I was just... I have the album Bookends, and... Uh, there's just that. It's sort of interesting. It's just that one track that's just old people talking and old folks home. I can and do without that. Yeah, it's it's like once I was like, I'm really going to listen to this one and really focus on it. And I was like, 
I guess it's interesting chronicling these people, but in the end, it's weird to have it in the middle of an album. It's a very strange thing, too, because one of the stories they mention with the news, they, they recite the news in the background, Vietnam and everything right. else, is the serial killer who murdered nurses in Chicago. Yes. I think I, I, I hate to say this, but I think that might be on Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. Is oh, that that's possible? A different, that's a different gem. They've got, they've got a lot of little gems like okay. that. Okay. Well, why would anyone want to listen to that twice? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> very, very strange. Um, well, Thanks so much, Mike, for coming into my home. Uh, I'm excited because, as I said, you've written. Uh, I don't know. I guess you did write these books, but they are interview books. So I'm they're not interview books. I'm not downplaying that you are a writer. No, uh, <laughs> they're actually a lot of work goes into them, and I have had uh, writers say, "Hey, what do you do? Just throw together transcripts, like their C-SPAN transcripts or something." And this is the opposite of. Um, just put together they're very very everything is there for a reason and um, yeah, everything is is packed yeah, I want these interviews not to have any extra slack no and they're very I was just going through some of it and here's the kicker they're just so dense and they're, they're I mean with good stuff and they're with mostly writers uh, it's writers more than Comedy just writers, com- comedians right, right. Uh, and it's really great just and they have it has like information in it sort of that's practical which is you know, and I, I remember when I graduated from college, I got all these, like, comedy books, like, how-to things as yep, gifts, yep, which yep. are fun. But this is, like, cool to have real writers who have interesting things to say about. Right. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that when I graduated college, there was really nothing out there. There was places to send uh, submissions to. And then there was also some books written by people who had not achieved anything in comedy. And I've noticed that a lot, too, with courses. You know, I used to live in New Orleans and then D.C., and each of these places had comedy writing courses taught by people who might have written a spec script for Mama's Family. Right. So what do they have to teach me? I don't really know. But what I wanted to do was, was to go to the source, you know, to go to Bob Odenkirk, to go to Larry Gelbart, to go to David Sedaris. Like, how did you do it? I was just genuinely curious. How do you go from point A to point B? Like, how did you manage that? I, to me, it was a very mysterious world. I had yeah. no idea how one did it. So it was really just an excuse to talk to these people. Also, when I was growing up, there was very little books on comedy that weren't about SNL or your show shows. Right. So, like, why couldn't there be a book about Mr. Show? And as there should, because those are the, some of the most influential comedians Absolutely. that you have. And it's like the new breed. And Right, or the Dana Carvey show. Like, why weren't there books about this stuff? There just wasn't. And I don't, you know, it, it, it's a funny thing because it took me, it, the, the first book was rejected 25 times. That's too many times. You, too many. What, you didn't give up, though. That's amazing. Well, I did. How did you of, not uh, give up after 25 times? Well, the- what happened was I had a friend, John Warner, who uh, was then the editor at McSweeney's. He was working at Writer's Digest Books. So he pushed this book through. If, if, if he was not working at that company at that time, this, the book never would have seen the light of day because the sensibility of editors, book editors, does not match our sensibility. Right. Like, they would be just as happy, I think, to have a book about Two and a Half Men, the oral history, more so than Mr. Show or the Dana Carvey Show, because those shows mean nothing to them, and there's not a huge audience for right. that. So for something like that, for what I was interested in, it just didn't exist, and um, that's kind of changed since the first book. The first book came out in 2009, 
And I have noticed some changes between the first book and this book. And this one is sort of uh, a continuation in a way, or would you say... Well, actually, what happened with the first book was I'm re-releasing it because I wasn't happy with um, the first... I mean, I was happy with it, but it was a lot shorter than I, I intended it to be. I intended it to be over 500 pages with very, very long... Not very long, but Playboy length or Paris Review length interviews. And they were cut down. In And here's the kicker for budgetary reasons. So what I wanted to do, well, first of all, the, the, and here's a kicker recently went out of print. Oh, really? And I told writer's digest, I said, you know, I'm coming out with a new book of interviews with Viking penguin. You might want to keep it in production only because hopefully the first book will now sell again. They didn't want to do that. So the rights reverted back to me. And what I'm doing is re-releasing the first book as like a director's cut, a longer version 500 pages instead of 300 pages. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. Yeah, well, it has a lot of new stuff as well. Um, so what, with what you're saying, and I'll use this as a segue into what we're going to be watching, I realized uh, your, your comedy sensibility seems sort of in line with what I'm into. and But I've never really seen this show that we're going to be watching. Uh, but I have to assume that you're very into it because um, in your first book, it starts with a quote from... Chris Elliott, uh, as uh, it says, this is this is it. This That's, is it. So, and this is Chris Elliott's, uh, f- I'd say, first t- television show. That's just uh, what we're going to be watching. Is this? Yeah, I think he did a guest shot on Miami Vice before this, but um, this was his first main show. Uh, but it's interesting. Chris Elliott, when he was on Letterman, and I've actually brought hours of bootlegs when he was on Letterman. I'd be glad to leave those with you. I, I mean, I would be honored. Um, I was obsessed with Chris Elliott on Letterman, as I was with Late Night with David Letterman. That show was it for me when I was in elementary school, junior high school. And I was a huge Chris Elliott fan and still am. So when he went to his new show, I was very, very excited. Um, but the show is different than what he was doing on Letterman. It's not as dark. It's more goofy. And one of the one of the things I asked you to do was to to find the show without canned applause. Yeah. Because the canned applause on Get a Life is it, it's almost obnoxiously high. It's like a UK British show. It's, it's almost violent. It's so high. And I never really could get past that. Um, so I, although I like the show a lot, and I really like it better now than when it first came out, um, it was it was Chris Elliott on Letterman that for me was was amazing, and that quote that you mentioned that 's one of the one of the uh, YouTube videos I want to watch um, that was a character Chris Elliott played when they when the show visited Las Vegas. He played Skylark, the Chris Elliott impersonator, and uh, he performs a quote unquote trick with David Letterman, and it ends with chris Elliott, Chris Elliott saying this is it right which became my favorite all-time comedy <laughs> i don't know if anyone else has ever seen this but i loved it so much i did put it in the, in the beginning of the book and actually the other youtube video i want to show you is also mentioned in the new book it, it's it begins the book begins with this quote um chris elliott plays marlon brando and he serves david letterman a thanksgiving meal so we can watch that. I, I'm, I, I'm, I've seen a bunch of his stuff. I mean, obviously, I've watched a bunch of his stuff, uh, but I've checked a lot of it out on YouTube. So I'm excited 
to venture deeper into the Chris Elliott hole. That's just, that sounds just gross. No, venture, my friend. Uh, Spelunk right into it. Ven- venture into it. And we're going to be watching an episode called, uh, uh, what's this one called? Z- Zoo Animals on Wheels? Zoo Animals on Wheels, written by the great Adam Resnick. And you were nice enough to give me, I just forgot to mention, you gave me a signed copy of the script, which is very nice. Yes, well, um, I asked Adam, whom I'm friendly with, to sign uh, copies, and then... Chris Elliott is shooting a show up in Toronto, and he was nice enough to say he would, so I sent him up to Toronto, and he signed a bunch. Um, but you know, Adam Resnick wrote this. He's a great writer. He wrote for Letterman, then went on to create Get a Life, and then direct and write Cabin Boy and other features. He wrote a show called The High Life, which was on HBO. It took place in Pittsburgh in the 50s. He just have, oh, and I should say this: he has a new memoir out, which is one of the funniest memoirs I've ever read. Yeah, I remember that coming out. I don't know why it's I didn't called grab "Will it. Not Attend," and you have to get it. It's the most honest memoir I've read, and I think it's going to be sort of a, a very influential in the sense that other memoirs up to this point have been about what has, what someone has learned and what right. you know. It's been honest, quote unquote, honest, but not really honest. You know, honest about sexuality or honest about this or that. This book is, he doesn't paint himself to be anyone you want to hang out with. <laughs> it's very honest. I mean, you don't want to be with this guy, but it's really, really, really funny. Um, Bob Odenkirk's a huge fan of the book. I recommend you, you go out. I'm, I'm, I will Amazon it. Even though Amazon is evil right now, so maybe I'll figure out another way to order it. Are Powell's. you a part of that? Yeah, I mean, like. Well, you know what? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. I don't think these big publishers are such uh, such dolls either. Right. Quite frankly, I really oh, don't. God. Oh, As boy. a writer, I've I've been I've you know received uh, checks for twenty four dollars. Yeah. So I think uh, they're both kind of on the side of uh, commerce. What are you going to do? Um, and then. Uh, so we're going to watch this episode. Why this specific episode? Because of the... I mean, Adam Resnick, I know, is part, wrote for the whole show. Is there a reason that this one stands out to you in particular? Yeah, well, it's one of the funniest ones. And also, there is a backstory, which we can talk about after uh, we see the show. It was based on Chris Elliott's father, who's a brilliant comedy writer. Bob and Ray. Bob and Ray. Um, who have been incredibly influential. And I interviewed Bob Elliott for the new book. And what he was saying was that he, in the 80s, went to see Cats, the musical. (laughs) And even being a performer, he hated when he got involved, you know, the performers got involved with the audience. So he still talks about, with absolute horror, the cats coming out into the audience and cavorting with the uh, (laughs) audience members. And I think it was that... That was one of the, of the um, germs of ideas that uh, Adam Resnick got to actually write this script. That sounds great. So we're going to check this out. Unfortunately, I failed you in not being able to find the non-laugh track version. It may be impossible to find, although there is a little clip on YouTube. No, actually, I think you can find it on the re-release of the DVD. You turn off. There's oh, they option. have an option? Well, that's pretty nice that you, they did You know that. they have an option to turn off the mash can laughter in Britain? But not here. Not here. And that DVD region, you know it's not cro- going to cross over. It's not going to, but it becomes a different show. Wow. Is that how they wanted it in America? Uh, they, well, the producers wanted it, not, right. not the makers. But those who grew up with it in, in the UK, when they came over to the States and saw it with the laugh track, it, they couldn't watch it. Yeah, that sounds like it would be... It, was, it just it became a different sh- show. Sort of shocking show. to see that. A shock it. to the system, yeah. 
Um, well, we're going to shock our system Ooh. with hilarity with Get a Life uh, Zoo Animals on Wheels. Uh, let's check it out. Let's do it. Shoot me, Gladys. I'll give you a million bucks. Just shoot me. <laughs> Proud yet frail from my nose to my tail. But here's the good news I've got wheels on my shoes, and with some music to guide me, I know I can build. Everybody! Opening friends. Boom, boom. <laughs> Okie dokie. We just checked out uh, Get a Life. And then, in addition to that, we watched a couple YouTube vids of uh, Chris Elliott in his uh, late show, Heyday, I'd say. Yes. Um, I would say late, late 1980s. Late 1980s. Oh, that's, well, why did I say late show? I meant late night. Late night, right. But you didn't correct me, so uh, listen. I'm not listening to you. I'm still staring at the Simon and Garfunkel person. And I'm not listening to you. I don't know what you just now, said. Is there someone hiding in that back room? I saw that, a movement. That's, that's my wife is in the bedroom uh, yeah, I don't blame her. She working. should not come out. She's not allowed out, and she doesn't allow me in. You tell it like it is. You it, give the what the what. She, we both give each other the what the what. Um, but I guess you did notice those shadows. I thought of. it was either a cat or some sort of creature. Back no, there. a cat. No, I'm not a cat person. Okay. Are you a cat person? Yeah, I wasn't until recently, but we got ourselves a Maine Coon, and it is. You don't want. You're not interested. Okay. Not, I'm no, not, 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 not interested in the story. Not interested in cat. Like I, the idea of having a cat is like sort of creepy to me. What are you not interested in? Cats licking their own balls. That doesn't bother. That that sounds enjoyable. That's great. I can tell you a lot of stories about that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll say that for after the podcast. Sure. The uh, it's that cat licking its balls podcast. I like that. Um, we just watched uh, Zoo Animals on Wheels. So let's talk about it a lo- little bit first. Yes. And uh, I think I mean this was out. I, I'm I was probably this came out in 1990. This show 1990-91. and it was like till ninety two. So I was a little bit young. I was in yeah. like. Uh, TGI Fridayville, probably at that point. Where was, did you grow up? Uh, in New York, okay. in, in Westchester. So in TGI York. Fridayville. What is that? No, oh, that's like um, TGIF. I mean, uh, like uh, ABC's, like uh, Perfect oh. Stranger. I don't know. why I said TGI Friday. I meant TGIF. Um, Perfect Strangers. You know, kids sitcoms. Uh, right. Full House. Well, that that's the creepy thing about the show is that it was supposed to appeal to kids like you. By Fox or by uh, Adam Resnick and Chris Elliott? By everyone's standards. Well, I don't think Fox was too thrilled with the uh, eventual product, but this was on Sunday nights at 8. Really? So that's that's probably – well, was Simpsons on Sundays at that point? Oh, because this was probably right around it was when this, right around the time that the Simpsons started. I don't remember because Sim, I forget Simpsons were on Sundays, but I forget if they changed. I remember. I think Seinfeld and The Simpsons both sort of changed a few times. Well, it's interesting because Chris Elliott's sort of like a grown-up Bart, and that's what makes it so creepy, among other things. That here's a thirty. And now he's a thirty-year-old guy who's he's a head paper man. He's not just the paper man; he's the head paper man, right? And he still lives at home. Now, twenty-five years later, that sounds like a 
common comedic sensibility. And I'd say that that in our day and age is not a far-fetched. I mean, no, uh, the paperboy maybe, but the idea of living at home living at home with the parents like right. is, this is sort of ahead of its time almost. Yeah, I th- what they wanted to do was a um Dennis and Menace grown up. So Dennis and Menace still lives at home. Now this time there was no one else doing that sort of thing. In fact, it was so rare that uh, Fox was put off by the idea. Do you mean how conceptual it was? Not or? conceptual, but the idea of a 30-year-old being happy, being content, not being um, not a go-getter. mentally challenged, but yet still content to live at home. Right. And uh, they didn't want to go that route. But it's funny, when you look back at all the man-children now in comedy, there weren't too many back then. Um, if you look at comedy in the 80s, it seems like Everyone wanted to grow up faster than they than they were growing up, and now it seems like everyone wants to remain a kid. Right. Mm-hmm. But it seems like this show was was one of the first that I saw that did that, and I found it creepy at the time, and I still kind of find it <laughs> creepy. I mean, this is a guy who's who throughout the course of the show um, experiences hallucinations and thoughts that you would you know lock him up in a real world. Why kids would find that funny in, <laughs> that's not animated right 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 and it's real people doing this um I, I can see why it didn't exactly catch on but that's not a bad thing i mean i i thought it was great um at the time and i still think it's really good. yeah well watching this episode was i mean it's hilarious chris elliott is really funny the concept of the episode we can sort of summarize it uh, basically at the beginning of the episode chris comes in he lives with his parents and his dad is played by his real dad right and uh he he says that a popular broadway show called zoo animals on wheels is they're doing a local version and he wants to be in it yeah and, th- and that that whole sensibility came from letterman because um a lot of letterman shows had to do with peeking out the window in new york at the theater that was showing Cats. Mm-hmm. They were doing a lot of Cats bits. Uh, basically, you know, grown men dressed as cats, meowing or purring. Now and forever at the Winter Garden Theater. Those right, were the, exactly. Those were the ads. It's, in, it's etched in my brain for how big Cats was. Well, does your hatred of Cats extend to musicals? <laughs> I, I, I do have to say, I never saw the musical Cats, but the commercials, uh, I guess, I assume they're local New York commercials, uh, were creepy. I mean, they were just, it was very dark and like cats riding down from the air on tires and sort of like creeping around. And what you were saying, the whole thing with Bob Elliott being them entering the theater just was like sort of uh, off putting, definitely as a child. Yeah. And it, that's the thing. I didn't grow up in New York, but I came up here to see Cat. Not to, that was in the that old was all, You came up, saw Cats, I and came immediately up by left. Bus and left. <laughs> My father would come up once a year, so he would take us to Broadway shows. And it creeped the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> McCavity the cat, uh, the rum tum tugger, uh, basically just doing nothing on stage, just a jiggling and a jaggling and, and singing songs. So I, I really loved the sen- that sensibility of making fun of something so goofy. Right. It was also this was also the first time that I have seen um, a show really do a parody musical. Like it was always it's, it's been done a lot since then. But I don't remember any shows, maybe SNL, 
but I don't remember many sitcoms doing that at all. Right, and uh, I feel like I just recently watched Waiting for Guffman, and it has sort of that sensibility. Obviously, this is like seven years or so before that, right. uh, but sort of that local version of it. But th- so in the in the show, his Sharon, he, he sort of uh, auditions for the show, and he's sort of going up. Uh, one of the producers and stars is Sharon. Who is a regular character? Yes, uh, he is. Her, she is his nemesis. She's is the wife of his childhood best friend. Okay, right. And then and they she s- prevents him from having fun with his best friend. And they sort of uh, they uh, trade barbs. And I like that they keep on referring to Chris Elliott as fat in it. There's something that's just funny about that he's not. He, he's not fat. Like he might be. I don't know. Slightly chubby. You would never say call him fat. And yeah, that's another thing. I mean, this was not so imposing. Like Alan Alden, Mash. He wasn't trying to be handsome. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. He he was, if anything, accentuating his ugliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how many guys would do that on a sitcom? To this day, how many guys would? Yeah, do that? to be completely. Uh, I mean, they show well later in the episode. We'll get to it. They they have to kiss, and the close up of him kissing is just, you know, his mouth, and it's just sort of gross. Right, and they try to they make it gross. They purposely I mean, make it gross. He's a good looking guy, but he makes himself out to be a freak. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that comes across. I mean, I I know that Adam, and I don't know about Chris Elliott, but Adam Resnick is obsessed with the past and old jazz and freak shows and carnivals mm-hmm. and old movies. And, um, one of the songs they played in here was a stripper song from a long time ago. So it's interesting. Here's, here's a show in the early nineties playing off themes from the forties and fifties, but not themes you would see in sitcoms. It's like weird themes, you know, r- life themes. Right. And I'd say that even the concept as a whole is, I mean, it's a sitcom, but it's sort of taking, as you said, it's the Dennis the Menace now, that the whole concept is sort of elevated a little bit further. You know, I don't think the average sitcom, I guess at that point, the Gary Shandling show is probably happening right. too, yeah. right? So maybe, maybe yeah, I'm wrong about that, but it's a little bit but more. But that was rare, and that, that, was, that was dead last in the ratings too. Right, exactly. But that's another show you look at now. It's like, wow, that is really so ahead of its time. time. Amazing, yeah. Um, so he auditions for it. He does sort of uh, his audition is I could see something like that being on the late and late night sort of his just dancing and prancing around. Right. Well, that's see, that's the thing, too. Like, I want to talk about the difference. But I sound like an academic. I want to talk about the difference between this show and Chris Elliott on late night. I should point out that while I was supposed to be studying in uh, junior high school, high school, I was never, you know, I would I'd be watching this. This is what I did. So to be able to talk about it now is very bizarre. Yeah, it feels good that it can come into it play. It does feel good. I, was, I felt totally alone. I, I didn't really have many f- uh, friends who were into the comedy scene. They were into other scenes, uh, music. I grew up in D.C., and I had a lot of friends into Fugazi, Minor Threat, and that sort of thing. But not really comedy. So I would try to talk about this the next day at school, and no one would really give a hoot about any right. of this stuff. Um. But it's it's fun to talk about and and to look back, especially on a twenty five year difference now, and and to see what the how the show has aged. Yeah, and and uh, I mean it is. I think it does hold up. Like it does. I mean, in in a way, you know, it feels sort of early nineties, like the theme song, the stand in the stand by REM and right, right, stuff right. like that. But it feels more in the land in the. 
this also will be academic sounding, but in the landscape of like what's uh, comedy now, like mm-hmm. Adult Swim stuff, uh, shorter form things, Absolutely. these more yeah. sort of late night sensibility is That's not. That's what I was as, thinking when I was watching. I was like, wow, this could be on Adult Swim now. Yeah, you know, tweaked a bit, but this stuff, I, I just don't know. How, this 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 wouldn't appeal to. It's not like the country is now ready for this. Yeah, like like geeks, comedy geeks are, but I don't think. My cousin Marilyn, who watches Two and a Half Men, would want to watch that. Yeah, I'd assume they'd be turned off by very everything. much by everything, everything in that realm. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, do- and they got more and more bizarre. They knew it was going to go off the air, so it just got more and more surreal. Right, which is, uh, I guess, that this is in the long line of you know something like Arrested Development, sort of that type of thing, where it's uh, right. a show that's a little bit ahead of its time. Right, that knows knows that it's going to end, and then just sort of flaunts it a little. Well, that's the difference between um, the internet. I mean, there was a group out there who were very vocal and upset that um, um, Arrested Development was going off the air. Yes, there was no vocal group about Chris (laughs) Elliott's show going off the air. Right. I mean, it was. Do you think there's a difference that the? I mean, what what the? uh, What do you think the difference is that that this audience is more? Well, now I don't think the show would be on Fox. I think it would be on an Adult Swim or on Netflix, FX, one of those, anything, Amazon.com. They could do whatever they wanted. The show wouldn't have to be 22 minutes. It could be an hour. It could be 10 minutes. And as as hard as they were trying to be normal I mean it didn't look like it but I think they were trying to be normal I think executives were trying to tell them make the characters more likable right I know that the char- the character of um, the husband's wife his best friend's wife was told uh, to be friendlier to Chris Elliott so mm-hmm. there's supposed to be some sort of a relationship there but I think now they would go totally off the deep end yes and they wouldn't have to to appeal to Fox executives or anyone to be executive free. Uh, I, I think it would be at the very least um, missing some elements that made it sort of uh, trying to appeal. Right. Well, I read effectively to the mainstream. I read one thing that I think Adam Resnick might have said, but I read online about that the third season, he would be like a hobo or a homeless person sort of traveling the U S and they said that every season they'd want to sort of change it like change sort of what the show is which is so ahead i mean there's not i can't imagine anything sort of like that at the time yeah really bizarre stuff and like that goes back to the 40s and 50s too these people just crisscrossing the country living in hobo camps (laughs) why would you want a show to deal with that but then there's also other bizarre ideas like i think one of the ideas was that chris elliott was going to be the babysitter for john wayne's daughter or something you know very bizarre right which you could certainly get away with now, but back then, they must have looked at them as if they were being insane. I mean, it's very off-the-wall off, off the wall stuff. And one thing I noticed about this episode, and maybe, I don't, I don't know if you can speak to it or not, but if it's just the early 90s-ness of it, or uh, this show in particular, but there's not a huge plot in this episode. I mean, there's in it, it's basically, he tries out for it, Sharon doesn't want him in the show. She talks about him behind his back. He leaves the show because he's upset. Then he comes back, does the show. Right. We're not talking C plot. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of, and I've, for this podcast, I've watched a lot of stuff from the 80s and 90s, and I've realized there weren't as many threads then. But, 
this is more th- to me this episode really set up the set piece of the musical which was like the big you know the the big finale yeah and it's it's just a giant send up of movies that featured these people trying to make it in show business yes and i think they were setting up their own cuz it's there were chris elliot and bob elliot and adam resnick they all seem kind of embarrassed that they're in show business even though they're incredibly talented and certainly belong there more than most, if not all. But um, I, I think to them it's just a ridiculous... And Letterman was like this, too. You know, the, the ridiculousness of show business and the stupidity of it all, the ego, um, he, may, he uh, sent it up a lot on Late Night. Right. And this is what Chris Elliott, I think, is doing here, is like, look how stupid right. people are who devote their lives to dressing up as Rum Tum Tugger. Well, the the end song where they their dresses uh, animals. He's a wildebeest. They have songs sort of explaining each one of their characters. The giraffe is basically just over and over saying, "I'm a giraffe. I'm a giraffe. I'm a, I have a long neck. I have a long neck." <laughs> and then at the end, they jump out into the audience and start saying something. Um, now we're looking at you. How does right. it? How does it feel? You're, like it's you're this, in the cage. Isn't you're it? in the cage. This is how. There's no more zoos anymore. We're looking at you. Right. Which it's is show sort business of this, with a lesson. Yeah. This big overarching like we're turning the mirror on the audience. Right. Hey people, when you walk out of here today, you're going to be stunned, but you're going to go out here with, with a lesson, and this is what you got to learn. We're the animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the whole audience is so turned off by. They just them. revolted and nauseated. People are walking out, and even the old. People probably bust in there. Look like they're bored to death. Yeah, and I, you said it before, but the fact that he's not really likable, or like he's sort of grosser, like his dad the whole time is like, "Let's get out of here," like, or he's like, "I'll pay you a million dollars to shoot me," or, so, or something right. like yeah. that. It's just his worst nightmare to be. Uh, I don't know who that is. Let's see. There was a quick buzz. I'm gonna pause this, and this is unprofessional. That was just a uh, somebody asking for signatures for registered Democrats. And I said, I, I can't do this right now. And he said, of course not. Yeah, I, I thought I heard that. <laughs> that was, of course not. I didn't respond, but that was so smug. What do you mean, I mean of course not? Yeah, I, I mean, I, of course not. I'm, I, I'm a young professional. I've, I've got work to do. This is the what problem with the left, man. I'm telling you. Oh, man. This is the problem with those lefty liberals. God. Yeah. I, I hope that guy's a listener because he's going to... sense of entitlement. Actually, I didn't want to say anything, but that is a hired hand. That's an actor I knew from school. What? That's so... Yeah. It's uh, out there. Jim McKillicuddy. Wow. He's good. He was on um, a show in the 80s uh, with Vicky the Robot. Have you seen uh, this show? Uh, 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 the Small Wonder. Fantastic. We show. watched an episode of this. Uh, uh, a yeah, few he episodes played ago. one of the brothers, the mentally challenged brother who still lived at home. <laughs> anyway, he's doing pretty well, but I asked him to come. Yeah, over. I mean, I hope you're paying him well because that I'm was not paying him at all. Oh, great, great. Um, so I totally forgot what we were t- talking about as we said. Oh, that. The, the, just the the nausea on the people's faces watching the the show. Well, that's the thing too. It's like Chris Elliott's having a hell of a hell of a time on stage but he he doesn't care that no one probably including the home audience is not enjoying themselves yeah and and you said it before that um and i guess we can talk one of the one of the um clips that we watched was skylark the the uh 
the Chris Elliott impersonator, and and you're saying that they sort of have this not contempt of show business, but making fun of it. Um, and when David Letterman introduces it, he said that thing about the commissioner of TV, right? He, um, it it not being allowed. Yes. But well, first of all, we should back up. This was um, a clip from Letterman and from '89, I think. Yes, we. I'll play part of the clip here. Um, this was uh, a Las Vegas show. Yeah, they went out to Las Vegas. And um, an ongoing character, I think they did it at least two times, maybe three times, was Skylark, the Chris Elliott impersonator, played by Chris Elliott. Thank you for having me on the show, Dave. Well, I'm becoming kind of a regular well, here. Yeah, I've been on twice. Maybe I should come to New York and do the show there. Well, no, in New York, the, uh, the show is really booked up pretty quickly, and I, I'm not sure there would be an opening for you. Well, that sounds great. I've never been. It'll be right. fun. Now, listen, uh, Skylark, that little juggling you did for us, oh. that's pretty much the show oh. you do down the street at the... Well, uh, that's just part of it. Part we of do it. a lot of things down yeah. there at the yeah. show. <laughs> I give the audience what they want. Oh, I see. Yeah. And what, what do they want? Then? They want a lot of shaking, a lot of this. Yeah, a lot of... What else? Uh, well, I do a lot of physical stuff, and I'm going to show you something. They said I could do this. You wouldn't jump through a hoop, so we're going to do something else okay, for you. Okay, what do I do? I just stand here. You stand here. Do you want a drum roll or anything, Skylar? No, this is okay. fine. It's called the human chain. Human chain. All show. right, well, Skylar. A couple of guys together. Okay. And we just grab like this, and then right. we hold. Okay. And then, now, now what, uh, well, what happens now here, Skylar? I'm sorry? Well, what, what happens here now? This is it. <laughs> What other host would allow someone to come out and act that strange and almost, um, you know, off off the rails like like Chris Elliott would do with Letterman? I mean, usually the hosts would always have to remain in control and they would have to be in charge. But it and what other host would allow? a regular character to come out and chastise him. Yeah. So he comes out and he's, uh, basically his act is, it's sort of supposed to be like an Elvis impersonator with the, the, co- like a bright costume and all that stuff. Yeah. But he does absolutely. He li- literally does nothing. I mean, he puts his hand through a hoop and rolls it around, but it's just, he's wearing and- eyeshadow, a wig. <laughs> um, and he is up on stage basically doing nothing. But the whole thing is so packed. I mean, when it's almost a sadness to it. Like when he, when the character says to Letterman, um, Hey, do you really New York? That sounds great. You mind if I ever come on your show and do some of my performing? And the Letterman goes into an explanation. Well, I'm sorry, Skylark. It's, you know, we're pretty booked up and it's, it's busy with our show. And I'm basically saying, you know, bugger off. And then the the (laughs) impersonator, not understanding a word, not sensing what he's getting, right? At, just mumbles, "Oh, that'll be great." I've never been to New York. That should be fun. <laughs> like, w- there's so much packed into that alone, right? It's a very specific type of, and y- y- even as you say it, like because I was laughing and I was just like, "That that's funny when watching it." But now when you say it, that the way you described it reminds me of people that literally do not listen. They don't listen. And, and yeah. sort of railroad you or, or it doesn't matter basically that you're in the conversation. And it actually works. And I do it all the time at work. It drives people crazy. Like I'll ask someone, Hey, do you have any more of that, you know, brownie? And they'll say, sorry, you know, I just finished the last one. I say, Oh, that'd be great. I haven't eaten in an hour. <laughs> it's a very, you can just fill in anything for it. And it's very <laughs> clever. I, I thought at the time, like a, it was just a throwaway. Right. You know, the whole thing could have been based on him wanting to come to New York and Letterman just keep saying no. 
but it just lasts for seconds and then it moves on. Right. And then it, what it moves on to is the ultimate buildup, which is why he's out there, which is what he says he's famous for. <laughs> the human... Um, human chain? The human chain, which consists of um, him wrapping his arms around Letterman from behind. And he just sits there. And then the audience, you know, titters a little nervously. And then Letterman asks, well, what's the trick? And then Chris Elliott... He would also do this. I don't know anyone else who did this at the time. He would say, huh? Or what? Or often he would point to his ear, like, I have a bad ear. Which is really interesting. There was no rush for him to get through this. He was very comfortable on stage. So Letterman said, well, what's the trick? And then Skylark says, what? And then Letterman says more forcefully, well, what's the trick? And then Skylark says, this is it. (laughs) And as he says that, he looks into Dave's hair. If you look at it closely, and it's such a creepy moment, there is no trick. You know whether whether he's even a performer somewhere or not. The whole thing is so open ended. He just wanted to grab Letterman. That's another thing. What host, late night host, would let someone get away with such homoerotic bizarreness (laughs) with basically no explanation? It's just sort of. Go up there, do it, get off before the audience can even really put it all together. I mean, that right. was like a three-minute clip that just is like, you're like, whoa. Right, and he he's done similar bizarre things homoerotic in a homoerotic sense. There was one thing he did where he pretended he was a um, – who were those people who used to, who used to guard – guarding angels? Okay. Uh, oh, oh, the uh, in New York, the, yeah. the people that sort of ride the subway or, or sort of are not police, but they're community people that – that take it upon themselves. Right. And this was in the seventies and eighties. So Chris Elliott came out as his own force. He had a muskrat tail on his head and he had uh, fingerless gloves, but basically the sketch ended with him, um, in his behind Letterman, of course, with it, with <laughs> his hands in Letterman's pockets. <laughs> and, he, and he said to, to, um, Letterman, he goes, Dave, can I ask you a question? And Dave said, sure. He says, do the lights ever go out here in the studio? <laughs> and Letterman says, N- no, why? And then Chris Elliott says, so why is there a flashlight in your pocket? <laughs> it's like, well, what was that? Crowd goes crazy. He throws up his arms. He gives a little bow and then goes off the stage. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, it's so genius. It's just so weird. It's so great. It's so bizarre. And and, uh, and you, I guess we'll bring up the... the uh, Marlon Brando one too We watched two YouTube clips In addition to uh, uh, Get a Life And I, what I noticed When you were just saying About the Skylark Was that he Multiple times In this sketch He's he's Marlon Brando Cooking for com, com, uh, Homeless people Is that, Was that supposed to be No the staff The, the staff Yeah With staff Homeless people What's the difference Am I right um, Especially the staff that operated the cameras. Right? Right. Yeah, come on, yeah, come on. And no, they're These in union. Writers we're talking about. They're in the union. They've got a strong union. But um, what I noticed was that he kept on saying, "Huh, ma'am? Pardon me, ma'am. Do you mind? Excuse what? me, ma'am. Can you step what? aside there? Huh? Oh, oh my gosh, it's, it's Marlon Brando, what? ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you what. You want more? I'll give you some more. God. <laughs> It looks like something that might be going on at Rikers Island. Marlon, what? what's uh, what's going on out Who there? Who is it? I hear you. I it's, don't see you. Where are you? It's me, Dave. I'm in the studio, Marlon. Dave, you thought I was a girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marlon, what, what are you doing out there? Huh? I say, what are you doing out there? Well, I'm giving the fellas a Thanksgiving meal in the tradition of the island. Uh-huh. How, how do you like it? They love it. 
Yeah, okay. What, what is the traditional island meal? Beans. Uh-huh. Marlon, maybe you ought to go a little easy on that. You look a little unstable there. Are you all right? You want some beans? Is no. that what you said? No, I don't want any beans. I'll bring them in to no. you. Oh, and now he's coming uh, in, Paul. Marlon is coming in. Let me just fill it up here. Oh, uh, bringing in uh. some island beans. <laughs> oh, God. All right, Marlon, that's that plenty. Here he is, Marlon. I feel like late night is the writer's sort of uh, – that's where writers sort of shine a little bit. Yeah. And I think everything feels so sharp and well-crafted. Mm-hmm. But there's something so funny about him just asking for it again. Yeah, there's always a problem with his, with his hearing. And there's, he's always <laughs> mishearing something. And Letterman seems genuinely pissed off that he has to keep repeating this stuff. Because right. there, there have been many moments when I've watched bootlegs of Chris Elliott where – He's taken it to the point where the audience is dead silent. <laughs> and that's another difference now. It's with, with in the early 90s, late 80s. I don't think there was as many applause cues back then. So there are moments. Like I remember this one specific bit where Chris Elliott was explaining what he had been doing over the summer. And he, had, he was telling David that he worked um, for Sesame Street. And Letterman said, well, what are you doing? He said, well... I work, uh, I play the part of Big Bird, but there's actually five people in there. <laughs> Letterman said, I, I had no idea. He goes, yeah, I'm the, I'm the back left foot, <laughs> but it gets really hot in there. So sometimes we work without our shirts <laughs> and the audience is dead quiet. But f- for me to have watched that at home, it was, the, that became the catchphrase for my college. We work without our shirts. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. And Letterman's puzzled, probably pissed off. The audience, audience is totally bewildered. But he, he has a, he has a, um, a bravery to Chris Elliott. Like he will never, you'll never see him giving up on the character. You can right. see that in a lot of actors. Even if it's just their eyes, it's like, oh boy, this isn't going well. But I've never seen that with him, and that's total balls. Yeah, he's do that in front of the nation. Pretty balls to the wall. I was even thinking that in the Las Vegas one, he's in front of an audience, which is when they do those shows in other places, it's not the TV studio. You can hear the audience being a little bit more unruly, and it's a Vegas audience, too. Probably drunk. Probably drunk. And he still is like hitting hitting it so well, you know. Yeah, at one point he tells the audience to shh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. motion for them to shh, like he's the Beatles or something. Yeah, he can't get his words in edgewise. Yeah, just total delusion. But he's as, as a performer, um, he's totally on the mark. Um, he's 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 just on it. You know, there's only one time I saw him bomb on Letterman. Oh, really? Just one time. But every time that I've seen him, I mean, at the very least, he's made me laugh. Yeah. If not the audience and the live audience. So what do you think is the main difference between, like, uh, Get a Life and sort of, or the style of the uh, Get a Life and the style of those uh, Chris Elliott pieces from uh, Late Night? Well, I think um, Letterman was more effective. I think it was sort of a DYI sensibility, I don't know, punk's sensibility just you know like a bunch of guys playing guitar in their garage they could do whatever they wanted they didn't have to appeal to executives they weren't playing to an audience beyond the one that watched the show so they could take chances and they could be bizarre um but with get a life even though it's funny very funny i think they were trying and i don't think the adam or chris were i think it was the executives they were trying to shoehorn it into something it might not have been 
And um, because of that, it has elements of bizarreness, but it also has these elements of what they're trying to send up, you know, these sitcom moments. Um, They were trying to make fun. Like the the woman who plays his mother played in um, Father Knows Best. Mm -hmm. So I think they were using her as as to show like, all right, well, she was in a traditional sitcom. This is not going to be a traditional sitcom. But the executives being the way they were, it's like, well, you have to make this more um, traditional. And you know what? It failed anyway. So they should have gone out swinging. Well, they didn't in a sense. But I feel bad for them for having to insert uh, certain sitcom tropes. Right. Now, I sort of have to, because we're talking about this, talk a little bit about Cabin Boy, which was also... That was probably around this... uh, 94. No, 94. Because I remember seeing that when I was, I mean... Really young. What you, do you think? I mean, first of all, the one thing that I always remember from the commercials was the "these pipes are clean," <laughs> right? And I remember watching it and being because I was in like fourth grade, mm-hmm. just sort of being like blown away by it yeah. because it's so bizarre. The visuals are really cool. Yeah. I remember it being very. Um, sort of not DIY but practical effects and like underwater things that looked really yeah. cool and uh it was really that was a throwback too to like Captain's Courageous from yes, the 40s. Right. Amazing yeah, it definitely stuff. like looked uh, incredible, but it's the it's crazy. I mean it's it's like just insanity. But it was almost as if we were told that we would we couldn't like it because if you ever if you tuned into Letterman at that time, he was very um, self-deprecating about his role in the movie. Yeah, I remember his role as the uh, pirate, right? Or, uh, or a selling a monkey, right? 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 It's, actually it's just basically in the role. Letterman in. I mean, that's it's hilarious because it's Letterman being Letterman more or less, just in a costume, just by a wharf selling <laughs> a monkey. And um, I think by by being so self-deprecating about his own role in the film, I think he sort of took down the buzz. Oh, really? From from others. Who might have gone out and seen? That's just my theory. I don't know if that's. Were you did Were you a fan when it came? Did you see it yeah, in the I theater? Thought was, I thought it was great, and I thought that what they tried to do was really interesting. I mean, this it was done really cheaply by Adam Resnick, who had never really directed. This was his first directing job, and I thought it looked amazing. Yeah, I mean, visually, that's what sticks out uh, <laughs> uh, is the visuals from it. Yeah, exactly. Even though if you if you go back now on a Blu-ray or, or DVD, you can see seams in the sky. Mm-hmm. But that's part of it too, because in the forties and fifties, yeah. you know, when it was stop animation or claymation, that to me is more effective than than computerized. It doesn't ring true to me. I mean, I know it's fake on a deep level anyway. Right. So why not make it? It shows the craft a little bit, and yeah. it shows that there are people actually making this, and it's sort of more beautiful dare i say beautiful in that way yeah i think it was and i I think that i think people are coming around to it now i mean they've they've held screenings where they've gotten standing ovations and i think as a comedy it's it's great and i think it was i mean it was hated right i sort of remember there being either backlash or just being thought of as a bomb uh i assume financially it probably didn't do didn't do well at all and, I mean, I went back to read original movie reviews when I was interviewing Adam for the new book. And there was one review from a San Diego paper. This is literally what it said. It said, who gave these two idiots a camera? <laughs> and, like, is, was it any worse than um, Biosphere? I mean, was it worse? Than I mean, those removed Biodome. Biodome. But, <laughs> but I remember, it's funny, because that was, like, when I was in the, that, those were the movies that, I, like, that. 
buy, I watched like all the Polly Shore movies. I was yeah. super into yeah. Dumb and Dumb, Dumber, yeah, love, Ace Ventura. The, that was the era of those movies. And there were a lot of stu- like stupid comedies, and this wasn't worse than, you know, like, no, like as wasn't. you're saying. It's, and there's a Dumb and Dumber 2 coming out, oh. T.O., is is there another movie coming out with Chris Elliott? You know, there's there. I think there should be in a sense. It, it, it's almost like they went off the tracks, and um, Ace uh, Ventura just sort of like rumbled on through. And that that's the type of movie that's affected everything since. It seems. Yeah, like. absolutely. Um, that's the common denominator now. Well, I have to wonder because you're you've written these books with these v- very in depth interviews. Um, do you find there, and you, and I feel like the people that you interview are different. Uh, some are more niche, or or yeah. Um, do you feel like when you talk to th- those people that there's a difference with the that that type of person who's successful but niche and maybe a little bit more critically liked or or with a certain fan base liked, and the people that are more mainstream? Do you see like there? Well, I think I don't, it just comes down to who I like. And some are mainstream, but most are niche. You know, most would, would be perceived as not being big box office draws or screenwriters or what have you. You know, some aren't known at all. But the older I get, the more I admire that. Because the common theme is, from those that I've interviewed, is just do what you want the way you want to do it. And you'll find an audience. And if it's not the audience that's going to fill, you know, the mega theater... Um, that's okay because if you do try to do that and, and your sensibility isn't aligned with that, it's going to fail anyway. So it, it's very much a do what you have to do in the way you want to do it. You know, it goes back to Fugazi. Are you a fan of Fugazi? I'm, I can't say that I know their stuff too much. Well, Ian McKay, who ran Fugazi, I'm a huge fan of his. He was a huge influence. He did it all on his own. He he made the um, their show Fugazi shows all age. They sold their own records for five dollars, and he does that to this day. So everything he's done has been on his terms, and he's still making a living as a musician. And I think there is a better opportunity now for comedy writers to do that in comedy than ever before. To do whatever you want in whatever medium you want to be a graphic novelist and do comedy to be a syndicated cartoonist to be a stand-up to write about comedy you know everything exists out there and there is an audience if it's done well yeah i think especially you look at i mean obviously he's one of the biggest comedians in the world right now but louis ck releasing a movie uh, a stand-up special by himself releasing other people's stuff for five bucks by themselves and that's becoming the new sort of uh the way it works absolutely but there's another there's another lesson like louis ck about 10 to 15 years ago released home or not home movies short comedy movies on dvd so he's been at it for a very long time and he has not stopped. He's been doing what he wants, the way he wants, um, and has not given up. I mean, you look at the fact that his first movie was Pootie Tang, right. which didn't turn out, I think, from what I've read, exactly the way he wanted. But that is the most insane. I mean, it's, it's the concept. I mean, crazy. you can't understand. I mean, the main character talks slang that's literally like gibberish. Yes, yeah, like William Shatner's Esperanto movie. Like, how did that get made? And that wasn't a success, I mean, commercially, even though people, including myself, love it. But, like, there's a case of him doing what he wanted, even when you couldn't. Yeah. Even when you had to deal with um, Hollywood executives. Now he doesn't have to. 
Um, but uh, that to me is a is a major success story. Yeah, and absolutely. Patton Oswalt too. Oh man, I when I first saw Comedians of Comedy, uh, the documentary, I thought that was one of the most inspiring Amazing. things yeah. I'd ever seen. Because I was in college and I w- was like an improv group and wanted to do comedy when I got out of college. And the fact that he just at the beginning was like, I just want to do this with my friends by myself right. the way I want to do it, not the way that they're telling me I have to do it in the comedy clubs. Amazing. And it's just it's amazing. It's and well, he's, he's from the D.C. area, too. He, he grew up in northern Virginia, actually used to work at a record store called Waxy Maxies. I used to work at the competitor called Camp Mill Records. Um, Are they either of them still around? No, they're both out of business. So you both. We were both failures. Yeah, <laughs> but like, actually, I do know that he's a fan of Ian Mckayah Fugazi and that that sensibility. Like, you go out there and you do what you want, yeah. the way you do it, and the fans will find you. At the very least, you can live with yourself. You don't have to say, "Well, I had to go out and write for shit." My father says, "Yes," which is nothing wrong with that. You make a lot of money, but like, is anyone going to look back in their eighties and be proud of that? I don't think so. And I wouldn't imagine anyone would be. Mm, no, I wouldn't. I would not. I'm sure the person who created it might not be. I don't know. Uh, I, I would have. I would actually be interested in finding. Yeah, out. I would be interested to, to know what they think about that. But you know, like it, it comes down. Like, you're in this not to get rich, and right. people who get go into it to get rich never get rich. And um, if you do hit it, that's great. But people would get into it even if they weren't being paid. And those are the people that are the ones who are the ones to watch. Sure, and those that are the people who end up turning the mirror on the other people and saying, look, we're Absolutely. not in a zoo anymore. We're, we're right. looking at you now. I'm getting chills as you say that. <laughs> um, are there any more f- thoughts on Get a Life um, that you wanted to... If you, if you wanted to influence a listener who hasn't seen the show to watch it, what would you say to that person? Well, I would say, you know, first, um, it's going to be what it is. It's, it's, you know, it's not going to be a Mr. Show. It's not going to be... Um, adult Swim, but you have to look at it in the context. This is the early '90s on a network when there are very few networks, especially networks doing comedy, um, and they were trying something that had never really been tried before. But I would also recommend watching it without the canned laughter because, as you saw, that the, the canned laughter came willy nilly. I mean, yeah. it was yeah. it made no sense. It was almost as if the guy was just randomly pushing buttons especially also because some of the stuff that we're laughing at aren't jokes like you pointed out while he's dancing around the whole thing is there's zoo animals on roller skates but he's on obviously i guess he probably couldn't roller skate or whatever but he's on blocks whatever the choice if it was a choice or not him clopping around was the funniest part of that right you know like that's what you're laughing at right he's not even pretending to be slip sliding (laughs) he's just clopping around on wooden blocks um is, so it's really an interesting show, and I would recommend if you're a fan of Chris Elliott's and Adam Resnick's and and even just comedy in general. It, it's a now it's a historical piece. I mean, it's 25 years old. It's crazy. You know, yeah. it's like something that would have been around in '65 uh, when this show came out. So like Hogan's Heroes at that time was historical. Now this is what it, we're looking at. But I would also say. Um, I'm a huge fan of Chris Elliott's, and I, I don't know if he gets the recognition he deserves. I don't think he's asked to be in movies, and I think he basically created this character. I don't think, you know, this character is very much ahead of his time before um, the movies about people living at home at the age of 30 doing bong hits. You know, he was doing this. Right. 
And he's still capable. He's fantastic on Eagle Heart. Eagle Heart, he's so great. Love that so show. So funny. Jason Walliner, great. Genius. Great. Yeah. yeah, great writer, great director, great show. And um, I think he's sort of, I, I know people in comedy love Chris Elliott, but I, I'm kind of perplexed as to why he hasn't, isn't being asked to be in a lot more movies. Yeah, that is surprising. I feel like, and those things go in cycles like, Someone, I'm a Weird Al fan. I feel like he has resurgences yeah. when people uh, who are fans of him like use him and stuff. You, you know, or Absolutely, like, right? Like, but but you're right. I mean, obviously, Eagleheart uh, is is uh, is great. But yeah, I, it's surprising that he doesn't pop up in more stuff. Right? Like um, it, Weird Al was appearing on um, uh, what's that show? The uh, on um, was on Adult Swim. The two guys. Oh, Tim and Eric. Tim and Eric. Yeah, right. yeah, sure. So, like, why, why isn't Chris Elliott being asked to to be the strange guy again and yeah. to, to come back and, and to play either that version or a different version? And even when he's on Late Show now with Letterman, yeah, it's still hilarious. like you're just like, oh, great. And another thing is too, he can be very creepy. His characters are half creepy, half funny. <laughs> yes, they used to scare the crap out of him, like the guy who lived under the the stairs, right. I think he could play a great villain. Whoa. All right. Yeah, I don't disagree. I feel like somebody should... So come on, people. Should, Dude, I'm not getting a cut of this. I'm just I'm just. Yo, you're fan. throwing out ideas and people can pick them up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I hope that that happens. Do you like that idea? Yeah, I love that idea. Evil dude? T- totally. Talk to the people at Out Swim. Get I'm going. Gonna, I'm going to call the people I know who will have no interest in what I have to say. And I'm going to say, you better do it. Well, I can see it in your eyes. There's like a eye of the tiger or something. Something's going on. Yeah, under that. I'm listening to on a secret headphone. Eye of the tiger. Is it the guy outside? Yeah, the Democrat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did he say? He said, uh, "Figures." Of course, man. <laughs> this just happened. He's like, "I've got something." Sure, you do. Or like, sure, oh, of you course do. you do. Yeah. So what a come on, man. Democratic. Cock. Um, but well, I thank you so much and. Uh, I'm excited to get your new book, uh, Poking a Dead Frog. Thank you. Um, this Tuesday, June 24th. June 24th. Well, I think this will be going up. This will be going up the day before it comes out. So, right. And but also, if you're listening to this 30 years in the future, I'm sure you can get it somewhere. I'll be long gone. But I should say <laughs> that the um, the first book is being re-released, too. So, right, with more interviews. And make sure it has that uh, a big star on the cover saying, with extra interviews. Cool. Well, I'm I'm excited to uh, check it out. Check out the new one, and I highly recommend it. I mean, I and I have to say that I have recommended it to many people over the years. Uh, when people talk about getting into comedy, I, I f- feel you. like I used to teach sketch at ucb i feel like i might have told some students to get it too thank you i feel like it's essential reading for uh but see that's the thing i didn't write it um to make money and i haven't you know i've made 24 dollars in the last residual check but that was just something i wanted to do and i i really it was just a personal thing i cannot believe how many people have said um that they like the book yeah i'd never ever ever imagine it was just going to be me for me and my geek friends comedy geek friends but it it has stuck around. It's just amazing. Well, right? the geeks have taken over. So. You're goddamn right they have. Um, well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, and I begin the long trek back to my apartment on uh, four blocks away from Oh, really? Yeah, I live well, right here. Well, once we get off the mics, we'll talk about restaurants and stuff. Well, let's do that. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. A big thank you to Mike Sachs for stopping by. And thank you. 
you to him for giving me a signed copy of the episode of Get a Life that we watched by Chris Elliott and Adam Resnick. And he gave me five uh, bootleg Chris Elliott uh, DVDs from the classic bits from uh, Late Night with David Letterman. And I've been watching them with Meryl. And we've been dying. It's hilarious. Uh, Panicky Guy, uh, The Guy Under the Seats... Uh, it's just amazing, and I would recommend that everybody uh, check out as much of that as they can on YouTube. Uh, so thanks so much, Mike Sachs, and uh, I'll be checking out his new book. I hope you do, too. Uh, you can tweet at me, edits that episode, like on Facebook, uh, it's that episode, uh, or whatever you want to do with your life. It's up to you. It's a free country for now. Have a great night and an early manana. Adios, amigos. <laughs>